Hey, this is Rich Wilkerson. I'm the pastor of VU Church in Miami, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. I want to welcome all of our VU friends and family, those of you that join us by way of YouTube and the podcast. We're so thankful for the power of technology that we can come right to you. Come on, can we make some noise for all of our VU friends and family who are joining us by way of podcast? Last week, we kicked off a collection of talks entitled To Hell and Back. We're postponing first time ever at VU Church uh, due to the circumstances that we are under. And I wanted to bring a message that was a little bit more current to where we're at as a nation right now and really as the world. Isaiah chapter 40, verse one says this. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone. Someone say gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves. That's really the verse that got me this week. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. I wanna take a few moments today and in light of what's going on around the world, this pandemic known as coronavirus, I wanted to preach from the subject, flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. I think it's a fitting title today. You know, it's kind of amazing watching people go through this scenario right now. Uh, We all kind of go through this differently. We all have our own personalities, and so we all process this pandemic differently. Um, I'm married to a woman by the name of Dawn Sheree Wilkerson, and uh, Dawn Sheree is, uh, well, she's very thorough. She's very detailed. She was up on this news two months ago giving us advice, and uh, at times I've actually suggested that my wife might be a slight conspiracy theorist. However... Most of the time, she turns out to be completely right. She is the Holy Spirit in my life. All the men with good wives said amen right there. But uh, I went on a flight last week, and she sent me with all the tools. I I literally, she gave me a mask. She gave me rubber gloves. I was walking through the Miami airport. I was in the line at Starbucks. I looked like I was getting ready to do open-heart surgery. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'll have a tall macchiato. Like, it just looked kind of strange. But on the other hand, I was at church last week and this woman, she walked right up to me. She said, hey, pastor. And then she greeted me with a kiss, which most of us here in Miami, if you're in Minnesota, you're probably not used to this, but in Miami, we greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, what about the coronavirus? She said, huh, I'm Cuban. I was like, okay, cool. I don't think COVID-19 cares that you're Cuban. But anyways, we all deal with this differently. We all process it differently. But nonetheless, all of us have been impacted already directly or indirectly with this pandemic that's going on. And when we got news this week from our national and local officials that we should not be gathering, we agreed with that absolute advice because we really believe that they gave us the greatest counsel that we could receive. And that is we actually have to practice social distancing. Now, I wanna be really, really careful because sometimes messaging gets kind of strange. We're not gathering physically today, and we are practicing social distancing, meaning that we're giving each other space physically for health reasons, but just because we're practicing social distancing doesn't mean that we're practicing spiritual distancing. (laughs) 
<laughs> Although we are not touching physically, how many of you know that today we're gonna connect spiritually? Because of the power of technology today, we're gonna worship together. We're gonna open up God's word together. And here's the good news about our God. While we practice social distancing, the worse it gets for us, the closer God gets to us. The Bible says he's close to the brokenhearted. Psalmist David said, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You cannot get away from God's love. He is close no matter what season you are in. But nonetheless, we wanted to abide by the counsel of our city and our government. And so today, our locations, they are not open, but rather we're coming once again by way of technology. And we're practicing this term, social distancing, which really became famous um, during the Spanish flu in 1918. I think sometimes it's good. We've got a lot of younger people here. I fit into that category, by the way, as well. But for many of us under the age of 40, uh, this is sort of new territory for us. But I want to encourage you that this isn't new territory for many people that have lived throughout the centuries, that people have gone through tough times. And sometimes there's just relief in hearing that this isn't the first crisis that humanity's faced. But I don't know if you know this, but in 1918, there was a pandemic that swept across the world called the Spanish flu. And over 100 million people lost their life due to the Spanish flu. Yet social distancing came into play because what happened was in a city known as Philadelphia, there was a march taking place to support the World War I and relief efforts and troops going to war. And so hundreds of thousands of people gathered despite the fact that people were seeing that the flu was beginning to spread. Well, what happened was three days later, because hundreds of thousands of people gathered on the streets, Three days later, 31 hospitals in Philadelphia were out of beds for sick people, and 4,500 people had lost their life. Now, here's what's amazing. Just 900 miles away in St. Louis, people got the same news that Philadelphia got, but instead of gathering, they decided to practice social distancing. They closed down libraries. They closed down schools. They closed down public places. They even closed down churches and said, if there's more than 20 people, you cannot gather together. Now, what happened was, is when you study Philadelphia and St. Louis, it is absolutely amazing because in St. Louis, they were able to minimize the death rate by less than half of what they experienced in Philadelphia. And what this became known as, this has became known as flattening the curve of an epidemic. That once a virus has gotten out and it's begun to spread, there's no longer any time to contain it. Now all you can do is slow it down. And so you flatten the curve. And what's interesting is for us as the church of Jesus Christ, this should not be news to you and I that we are flattening the curve of this virus. Because the church of Jesus Christ isn't just called to flatten the coronavirus curve. How many know there's some other curves that you and I as the church of Jesus Christ should be flattening? Someone say flatten the curve. Oh, come on, online. Someone say flatten the curve. I love Isaiah chapter 40. It's an amazing passage of scripture. Just a little bit of context because I was reading it this week, looking for hope, looking for encouragement because I need it and you need it. And this is a prophecy made by one of the major prophets. We have major prophets and minor prophets. It doesn't mean that one's voice is greater than the other. Major prophets mean there's more writing. Minor prophets means there's less writing. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. And Isaiah, his name actually means salvation of Jehovah which I think is pretty awesome because Isaiah is known as the evangelical prophet. 
meaning there's more messianic prophecy and evangelism of the grace of God in the book of Isaiah than any other prophecies. And when you study the book of Isaiah, what's really, really awesome is that there's 66 chapters in Isaiah. Anybody out there know how many books of the Bible there are? Oh, we got all of our Bible scholars here at Casa today. There are 66 books in the Bible, meaning what many scholars have called the book of Isaiah, they've called it a mini Bible. The reason why is because when you study Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, they're all about God's law and it mimics the first 39 books, the Old Testament. But then as you get into chapter 40, someone say chapter 40. Chapter 40 is like the good news. It's like the gospel of Matthew. The next 27 chapters become the gospel, become the grace of Jesus. Anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus out there? Make some noise. And Isaiah, he starts in chapter 40 and he begins to give traces and he begins to give an outline of Jesus Christ. And I think even just as he starts chapter 40, it is such good news for you and I written some 700 years before Jesus even walked the earth, Isaiah says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. I like that. Comfort, comfort. He says it twice. How many know that nothing in the Bible is on accident? If he said it twice, there's a reason why he said it twice. It's not just comfort, it's comfort, comfort. It's comfort to the second power. It's, it's comfort squared. It's comfort times two. Anybody in this room or online right now could use some double comfort in your life? Make a little bit of noise. I could use some double comfort during COVID-19. I need some double comfort. I, I'm looking for a God who says that when you're uncomfortable, I can come and bring you comfort. When you're afraid, I can come and bring you peace. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I got one arm that says comfort, but I got another arm that says comfort. I'm going to wrap my arms around you and I'm bringing you double comfort. And the prophecy says, he says, he says, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. What he is saying is he's saying that Jesus is coming and get ready because Jesus is creating a straight path. He's creating flat ground. He has come to flatten the curve. Someone say flatten the curve. Today, we are attempting as a church here in Miami to flatten the curve of the coronavirus. But as a church, we're gonna fight to flatten some other curves. I want to show you three curves today that I think in the state that we are in, that we can be encouraged and we can take this moment, which is negative, which is in the natural scary, but I think it should be a charge for each and every one of us that we as the church of Jesus, that we would say, this is not going to put us in a mode to be apathetic, but rather we're going to respond and be proactive. I want to show you three curves that we must flatten. The first curve that we must flatten as the church is we must flatten the curve of evil with good. We must flatten the curve of evil with good. The church has always been called to this. But in light of this pandemic, I think it's a good time to respond and remember why we're here. We are here to flatten the curve of evil. And how do we flatten the curve of evil? We simply flatten the curve of evil with good. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he tries very hard to be good. <laughs> you ever notice that? Like, until you actually try, you're like, oh man, it's, it's difficult being good. Why? Because good is hard, evil is easy. Someone say, good is hard, evil is easy. That's why as believers, we must choose not to take the easy path. 
not to take the easy route, but instead say, we're going to take the difficult path. We're going to choose the road less traveled. We're not here to live out of convenience. We're here to live out of conviction. Can I get a witness if you know what I'm talking about? That's who we are. I think many times what begins to happen in this season is that fear begins to rise up and we begin to be challenged. And what happens in life is that when pressure is applied, that's when you discover what's actually inside of somebody. How many out there, you love orange juice? Any orange juice lovers? Where you at? Where you at? Where you at? A few of us, a few of us in the room. Anybody not like orange juice in the room? Oh, there we got Chandrice doesn't like it. Come on, if you're watching online right now, why don't you put up like, a, um, like an I love you emoji if you don't like orange juice. It'll be a little bit confusing because we're like, I thought you did love it, but you're, it doesn't matter. But just put that up so we know. Let's document those because I want to counsel everybody that doesn't like orange juice afterwards. <laughs> But orange juice is awesome. The other day I took my son to breakfast. We went and had breakfast down on Key Biscayne. It's one of our favorite things to do. And we love getting together with Wyatt and Wyatt likes bacon, he likes eggs. And yesterday they brought us out this orange juice. And dude, this was like, how many know? There's like, there's different categories of orange juice. Orange juice is like wine. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's like, it's like, there's some cheap orange. It's like, where's this orange juice coming from? You know? And so we had this orange juice. I was like, what's up with this? This is good orange juice. I said, how do you have such good orange juice? And they said, oh, it's freshly squeezed here. I said, oh, so it's different from the stuff I'm buying at Publix is what you're telling me. How many know the only way you get orange juice is when you squeeze the orange? I think this is a powerful concept that we must understand. What comes out of you when you get squeezed? We don't want to face pressure and we don't want to face challenges. We don't want obstacles. Yet many times obstacles challenge pressure. It produces what's inside of us. It's a simple question. What are you full of? What's inside of you? What are you full of today? Because we're going to discover when pressure hits, are you full of good? Are you full of evil? See, whatever you ingest is what you'll digest. So why not make a decision today in light of what's going on, I'm gonna start ingesting the right stuff. I'm gonna start ingesting the spirit. I'm gonna start ingesting the word. I'm gonna start ingesting worship. I'm gonna ingest communion. Why? Because whatever you get inside of you, when pressure hits, that's what's gonna come out of you. I think right now, as we look around our world, so many of us in our world, as our world is getting squeezed, not everything that's coming out of it's good. You know, the scripture says, Paul, he writes in Romans, he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I wanna prepare our church. I wanna prepare the faith community that's watching today online. When pressure hits the world, you'll begin to see evil come out of it. We must, as a church, decide we're going to flatten the curve of evil with good. With good. You watch. It's already begun to happen. The world is being squeezed, and we see things like racism coming out. As a church, come on. Racism is not just a skin issue. It's a sin issue. Racism is a deep, deep problem But in moments like this, you begin to discover what's inside of people's hearts. Xenophobia has no business in the faith community. 
we, we must not fall into these things of going, look at that person. I think they're carrying, no, 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 that's not who we are. Things like selfishness begin to be squeezed out of us. Listen to me, I wanna speak to our church. You protect your family. You make sure your loved ones are looked after. But friends, we are Christians. We don't just stop with our bloodline. We have been grafted into the family of God. We gotta get a bigger perspective. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know this. I know as soon as we get information of how we can help here locally in Miami, we are putting boots on the ground. You know, one of the things that made Christians so contagious, and they, they write about it in the early church, the Roman emperor wrote about it, was that when everybody was afraid of the lepers, Christians were going and laying their hands on those that had leprosy and praying in the name of Jesus. I'm not advocating today that you go and find somebody with a coronavirus and you put your hands on them. I'm saying that in your heart today, we cannot just be so self-focused that we forget about the fact that our call is to Jesus and our call is to others. Selfishness is not what's gonna come out of us. How about greed? Right now, we already see what's happening. This is not just a health crisis. This is an economic crisis. And many of us, even right now, we're beginning to become afraid of where our supply will come in, where our resources will come in. And as we get squeezed, generosity is not coming out. It's, it's greed that begins to come out. Let's be proactive right now. As a church, we're not gonna stop being generous. We're gonna continue to look for ways that we can touch people, help people. We're getting information right now. I know in Los Angeles and some other major cities, the public schools are shutting down. And because of that, yes, that's a problem for the working mom and for the working dad, but there's also a problem because there's many that, are going to the public school system that are under the poverty line. Meaning the only way they get a meal is through the public school system. We need to be ready right here in Miami. We're already talking uh, to our local officials. We wanna make sure that nobody's going hungry during this time. You might have to deal with some social distance, but come on, man, we're gonna make sure that people are fed. We're gonna make sure that people have the supplies that they need. Our church is gonna be generous. The promise of God is simply this, is that he is with us and he gives us the tools. There is no doubt right now that as we look at our nation, as our nation gets squeezed, evil's gonna come out. But our job as the church is to flatten the curve of evil with good, with, with good. I love this idea, be filled with the spirit. You've never needed to be filled with the Spirit more than you do right now. Being filled with the Spirit is not an hour and a half Sunday gathering thing. Being filled with the Spirit is right now, today. You need the Spirit of God to fill you. Why? Because if you're filled by the Spirit, you're gonna display the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit, wow. I'm telling you what, this virus is contagious, but so is the fruit of the Spirit. This virus is contagious, but so is love, so is joy, so is peace. So is goodness, so is kindness, so is self-control. Come on, if somebody's gonna catch something from you, you might as well let them catch love. Let them catch love. Let them catch love. I, I love this, this prophecy in Isaiah because here's Isaiah and he speaks out loud. And he says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for her sins. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, Jerusalem, you've sinned. 
and now you've been in bondage under Babylon, uh, under Babylon. God has punished you. There's been a consequence for your sin, but I want you to know that good news is coming. I want you to know that although you did evil towards God, God is gonna do good towards you. I want you to know, Jerusalem, that you have been running from God, but God has outran you. I want you to know that you run fast, but grace runs faster. Come on, anybody thankful for a God whose good outweighs our evil? Someone say, flatten the curve. We're not just gonna flatten the curve of evil with good, the second curve that we must flatten is we must flatten the curve of fear with faith. We must flatten the curve of fear with faith. This is what I know about God. I don't know how God's going to do it, and I don't have to worry about how God's going to do it. I don't have to worry about how God's going to do it. I don't have to worry about when God's going to do it. All I need to know is that he's with me. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, God says, do not fear. Why? Because when I operate in fear, ultimately, fear is just faith in reverse. You ever notice that fear has a tendency to say, what if? What if? It's what if. I went to um, the gas station yesterday and I went to pump gas and I, I got out of the car. I had my wife and my boys in our minivan, by the way, balling on a budget. And um, I was filling up the minivan first time brand new minivan. Don't want to talk about that right now, but it's actually a great car, Honda Odyssey. I recommend this to everybody out there. Um, double sliding doors. The thing's amazing. And so I go to this gas station and I'm filling up for the first time and um, I get done filling up the pump and I've, I've, I've been out there, uh, I'm exposed and um, I fill the pump up and then I put, I put the, what do you call it? The handle, the nozzle. Thank you, Adrian. He knows all the correct terms. I put the nozzle back in the nozzle and um, there's a sign on the pump. It says, it says 13,000 people a day or 13,000 people a month touch this pump. Make sure to clean your hands. And as soon as I read that, I was totally fine. But then I read this piece of information. I was like, oh my God. I said, Don't you, where's, the, where, where's, the, where's the hand sanitizer? She, says, she said, I forgot it. I said, what? You forgot it? I got back in the car. I tried to drive my car with my elbows. I drove all the way, we were headed to the park. I drove all the way back home. I said, everyone stay in the car. You know, I get out, I go in, I wash my hands. I get back and I'm like, now we're good. We drive back by the gas station. We drive back by the gas station. The same pump I was using, there's a man out there who's cleaning it. I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is a product of my fear. As soon as my fear looked at this moment, I started saying, what if I catch the virus? And all of a sudden I started to adjust. There was somebody that had already been cleaning those pumps hour after hour. Fear says, what if, but come on, faith says, even if, man. Even if I'm not gonna back down, I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna keep moving. I'm not gonna be led by my fear, I'm gonna be led by my faith. And the church of Jesus Christ right now, when there is a world that is so full of afraid, needs to be reminded that we are to stand up and be the church of Jesus Christ. And we must flatten the curve of fear with faith. Someone say, flatten the curve. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of love, of peace, of a sound mind. We are not led by our fear. We're led by faith. 
We're led by faith, and that's what we're choosing today. We're choosing to be people of faith. It's amazing because I think so often fear and faith is simply determined by what voice you choose to listen to. Watch what the writer of Isaiah says. Isaiah says, listen. Everyone say, listen. 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 It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Now, we know specifically this prophecy, once again, is about Jesus Christ coming. We know specifically right here that Isaiah is actually writing about John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus from the wilderness, shouting out loud. But I love that phrase that it says, listen, because I think in life, there's always two voices that we're listening to. And whatever voice you listen to will either produce fear or faith. I think many times we're listening to Satan more than we're listening to God. Let me just tell you, it's really easy to distinguish the two because Satan's voice and God's voice are producing two different things. Satan's voice is always going to produce fear and God's voice is always going to produce faith. If you're wondering whose voice am I listening to, the question is, are you operating more in fear or are you operating more in faith? Because God's voice calms. Satan's voice causes fear. God's voice comforts. Satan's voice discomforts. God's voice encourages. Satan's voice discourages. God's voice brings peace. Satan's voice brings worry. God's voice brings hope. Satan's voice brings discouragement. God's voice brings stillness. Satan's voice wants to rush you and push you. I think many times we make it so dramatic. We're going, I just can't hear God's voice. And we're looking for God's voice and all these dramatic things. I read a beautiful story about a man who, who dared God to speak to him. And so he shouted at God. He said, God, speak to me. He said, God, if you will speak to me through the burning bush like you did for Moses, I will follow you. And God, if you will speak to me by collapsing the walls like you did for, for Jericho and for Joshua, I, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'll fight for you. And God, if you will still the storm like you did on the Sea of Galilee for the disciples, well, then I can trust you. And so God decided to answer the man and the man went and he found himself, positioned himself. The man went and sat down by, by a wall, by a bush, by the sea. And God responded. Only when God responded, he didn't send fire to a bush. Instead, he sent fire to a church. And God responded, but he didn't, collapsed the walls like he did Jericho. Instead, he collapsed the bricks of a cold heart. And God responded, but he didn't calm the seas of Galilee. Instead, he calmed the seas of a soul. And the man sat there and he waited. But because the man was looking (laughs) for a bush instead of a heart on fire, he couldn't see God. Because the man was looking for walls to come down instead of the walls of sin coming down, he thought that God was distant. Because the man was looking for the sea to settle, he missed the fact that a soul had been stilled. And the man responded to God and he waited on God. He said, God, have you lost your power? But God waited and God waited and God waited. And the man responded again, but God, did you lose your power? And finally God responded, did you lose your hearing? See, I think many times in moments like this, we're looking for God to do something really dramatic. Open up the heavens, let Gabriel come down with a trumpet and cure the coronavirus. 
But many times that's not how God is going to respond. Many times we want something dramatic. So we look and we look and we look from sermon to sermon to sermon. We go from event to event to event. We talk to person to person to person. But let me just tell you something. You don't go find, you don't hear God by going and looking for God. You hear God by listening to God. You simply get quiet. You simply get into peace. You simply get still. And God's voice will speak to you right where you are. He'll speak to you where you are. Listen to me. God does not always change our situation. But God will always, 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 always bring faith to our soul. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You gotta hear it. You gotta spend time listening to God. I think right now with so many of us having to be quarantined, maybe not being able to go back to work, maybe not being able to gather in public places like we normally would, what a great opportunity to hear the voice of God. I think about Peter and Jesus. Peter's in that boat. He's in the middle of a storm. The storm is raging. The wind is blowing. The rain is falling. And then Jesus walks out onto the water to meet him. And when he gets out onto the water, he says, come to me. And Peter says, is that really you, Lord? And Jesus says, it's me, come. So what does Peter do? Peter takes a big step out onto the water. And as he steps out of the water, can you believe it? A miracle takes place. He's walking on the water. But then the scripture says that he looks at the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves. You can't even see wind. That's how fear is. <laughs> fear operates this way. I can't see it, but I sense it. I, I can't see it, but I think it's there. And so we start directing our attention on fear. And the moment he starts looking at the wind and the waves, what happens? He begins to sink right there into the water. Jesus comes over to him and he helps him out of the water. And he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? See, what happens is, is that when we stop listening and we start looking, our fear begins to diminish. And I can just sense Jesus going, Peter, listen to me. The water is liquid, but my word is solid. Don't look around. Listen to my voice. For when my voice shows up, faith is produced. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. What voice are you listening to? Because if you're going to flatten the curve of fear, you flatten it with faith. But the way you give faith is by hearing God's voice. My favorite part is Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I'm just an optimist, friends. I just believe this is good news for all of us. Because I've never walked on water. And my guess is you haven't either. Let me just tell you, walking on water, I think it's more difficult than the coronavirus being cured. But Jesus looked at this man and said, yo, Peter, you with little faith, you walked on water. Maybe today we don't need great faith, strong faith. Maybe we just got to go back to the scripture that says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. All I need is some mediocre faith. All I need is some average faith. All I need is a little bit of faith because if I have faith, I can walk on water. Come on, somebody give God some praise. We're going to flatten the curve of fear with faith. We are people of faith. Someone say flatten the curve. We as the church of Jesus Christ, we're not just supposed to flatten the curve of this virus. We should be flattening the curve of evil with good. We should flatten the curve of fear with faith. And last of the day, we should flatten the curve of worry with peace. With peace. Worry is a dark room where your negatives are developed. Worry is a waste of your imagination. You ever been down into worry world? In worry world, things just get worse, worse, and worser. 
That's not even good grammar, but that's how it works. It gets worse, worse, and worser. Just, it's worser today than it was yesterday. I love what Mark Twain said. He said, I'm an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Worrying is like paying a debt you don't owe. I have spent most of my life worrying about things that have never happened. And I wonder today, I wonder if you are worrying about something that's never gonna happen. You see, worry doesn't take away tomorrow. Worry doesn't change the trouble of tomorrow. All worry does is worry just simply robs you of peace of today. And this is how peace works. We're not given peace for tomorrow. We're given peace for today. You wouldn't need peace if you didn't have a storm. You wouldn't need peace if you didn't have turmoil. You wouldn't need peace if you didn't have a challenge. You wouldn't need peace if you didn't have an obstacle. And the good news about our God is it says right there in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through, I can give you peace today. But the only way you can get peace today is you actually have to face today. So you'll never ever get peace avoiding life's challenges. God doesn't offer you escapism. God doesn't offer you, hey, just just forget about it all. It's not actually happening. No, God says even right here, right now, in the midst of it, I will be your peace. I'll bring you peace. I think it's very important as a church that yes, we act responsibly. That's why we're meeting today. Today, as we gather online, it's not an act of a lack of faith. It's us being responsible. We're loving our neighbor by protecting our neighbor. But this too shall pass. We will get through this. If you haven't heard that today, let me just say it to you. This too shall pass and we will get through this. The question is, when we get through this, what do you want your testimony to be? When you reflect on this moment, what what do you want to to be reminded of? Do you want to be reminded of of the evil that came out of you? Do you want to be reminded of your selfishness and your small thinking? Do you want to be reminded of your greed and the fact that you only thought about you and your loved ones? Do you want to be reminded about your fear and how you trembled and how you listened to the voice of the enemy? Do you want to be reminded about the fact that you worried and you just imagined things that were never, ever going to happen and you took all of that imagination that God gave you and instead of coming up with solutions, you created more problems? Or do you want to get through this thing and say, no, when life squeezed me, I produced orange juice. Freshly squeezed orange juice. When life squeezed me, faith crept out of this body. When life squeezed me, I had peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Peace that transcends all understanding. Peace that guards my heart and my mind because of Christ Jesus. God has peace for you today. Challenges like this one are never a question of if, they're always a question of when. Live long enough, you're going to go through some trials. But I want to predetermine my testimony. I want to testify to my trial that hasn't happened yet. That I'm going to stay standing strong, full of faith, full of peace. I was reminded this week as I was studying, as I was getting ready to come to you, so many of you that I love, so many of you that I'm thinking about, 
Wish we could gather physically today, but we're gathering spiritually. I was reminded of the story of Horatio Spafford. He wrote the beautiful song, It Is Well With My Soul. The song was written after the great Chicago fire. He lost all of his business and was being forced to go to Europe to find new work. And so he had sent his wife along with his four daughters on a boat across the sea. They ended up hitting another vessel and that ship sank. And all four of his daughters, they died. His wife sent a telegram back to Chicago and it simply said, saved alone. Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine the worry? Can you imagine the heartache of this man as he's all alone, isolated away from his loved ones and getting news that his wife was spared, but his daughters were dead. He got on the boat as soon as he could to go and meet his wife. And when he got to the place where that vessel had crashed, it is there that he wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. The song's pretty simple. The chorus just simply says, it is well, it is well with my soul. I believe today this is the great encouragement of our God. That in our hardest moments, in our most difficult moments, in our greatest challenges, we can declare out loud because of our Savior Jesus that no, my situation is not good, but my soul is good. No, I don't like what's happening around me, but I'm telling you, something good is happening inside of me. Listen, tomorrow isn't promised. Never has been. But peace today is. Peace today is. You can have peace. You can declare today, it is well with my soul. Today we're reading Isaiah chapter 40. And today we are practicing social distancing because we are flattening the curve of this pandemic. Yet I wanna remind you today that wherever you're tuning in from, wherever you're watching, there is really, really good news in Jesus. Because whether you know it or not, the coronavirus, well, that's not been your biggest challenge. And that's not been the worst virus that we have faced as humanity. No, the greatest virus humanity has ever faced is the virus known as sin. And this thing called sin, man, we were all born with it. Everyone's got it. And we were in need of a vaccine. We were in need of an antidote. And some 700 years before the antidote came to the earth, Isaiah prophesied and he shouted down through the tunnels of history, comfort, comfort my people. You don't see it now, but there is a vaccine on the way. And I want to just say, thank God for the vaccine known as Jesus Christ who came. And he didn't flatten the curve of sin. He eradicated the curve of sin. And as he eradicated that curve, so went my shame. So went my guilt. So went my fear. So went my worry. So when my questioning, my wondering, what if this is my last day? Because of Jesus, there are no last days. Because of Jesus, when this body dies, whether that's through a virus or whether that's through a car accident or whether that's just through good old age, I know that to be absent with the body 
is to be present with Jesus. Therefore, no matter what I face as a believer of Jesus, I can step into the future without fear, without worry, because I'm not living for the temporary. I'm living for the eternal. I'm thankful for Jesus. He didn't flatten the curve. He eradicated the curve. Today, you and I, as the body of Christ, we have an opportunity to follow in his footsteps. For the same power that conquered death, hell, and the grave, it lives inside of you and I. And today, as we step into our week, whatever it looks like, whatever the news is, today we are declaring that we are the church that flattens the curve. We're gonna flatten evil with good. We're gonna flatten fear with faith. And we are certainly gonna flatten worry with peace. Come on, do you believe that? Go ahead and give God some praise. Give God some praise. Hallelujah. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with friends. It helps so much. For more content from VU and to connect with us, go to vuchurch.com. We love you. The best is yet to come.